0: A good day, a busy day of seemingly eating. Had breakfast with Fred's, lunch with Dave's, and a very good meal at Jim's. And I would just wanna say that um, I was just really blessed being there at Jim's place. The older I get, the more that um, I appreciate Old saints. Can I call you old Jim? Jim said when you're 81, you can say anything and get away with it. Uh, I'm not there yet, but uh, just seeing someone who's walked with God for a long time, and in hearing his story, some of his story, realizing that uh, there were some hard times in life and I heard him say God has been good to me. And so that just really lifts my heart, blesses me, and uh, excites me about sharing with you. It's always, in, in a lot of ways to me, it's intimidating to think that you stand up here and with the intent to, from the Word of God, reflect and show his character and his nature, uh, it seems kind of overwhelming <laughs> from you know a, a very broken person and um, far from perfect. But nonetheless, he has called us to be faithful and I felt that fire in my guts when I was young and at one point he reminded me of it in a very powerful way and so I stand before you enjoying sharing uh, what he's given me to share. Tonight's title, and by the way, Tim, I did give a theme last night. Uh, Captivated is just the simple word for the week. And uh, every every message has that word in it. Is there a little too much feedback with this mic? Should I drop it lower? We're good? All right. So the title of tonight's sermon is A Divided Captivation, and uh, I'm going to read to you a quote, and I'm going to ask you who said it. The quote is this, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So who said this, Thomas Jefferson, Jesus, Abraham Lincoln, or Bob the Tomato? For your sake, don't pick the last one. Anybody venture a guess? Well, I'll ask my wife. Jesus said it first, Abraham Lincoln said it second. Abraham Lincoln said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. And that was Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, I think, quoting the words of Scripture in a time of, of incredible turmoil in this country. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12. This is in fact the chapter where Jesus said those words in Matthew 12 and just a bit we'll start reading in verse 22. But the uh, verses before that just kind of set the plot for this moment. Uh, Jesus had been going around healing people, and the Pharisees didn't like it. And uh, they were pretty upset. In fact, they were plotting how to destroy him. And so we pick it up in verse 22. Then one who was brought to him, who was demon-possessed blind and mute and he healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw and all the multitude were amazed and said could this be the son of David now when the Pharisees heard it they said this fellow does not cast out demons except by Belzebub, the ruler of the demons but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you or how can one man, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Very plain language. There's no question what Jesus is saying here. And to me, you know he's saying two things one there's two kingdoms and we see that in verse 26 when it says that satan is divided how can he be divided against himself how then will his kingdom stand and if you back up a little bit in verse 24 you know he's responding to the pharisees and, and they're accusing him and he calls them out on their logic but he's accusing; they're accusing him of casting out demons in the name of a demon, and and so Jesus just answers simply and says, "Well, how can that be? How how would that work out? Um, I would cast out if I am of Satan and I'm casting out a demon of Satan. His kingdom's gonna fall apart, and so maybe you guys ought to think about that and realize." There's something different going on here than just some satanic work. And, you know, I think that's the, the logic of rage. And we're seeing and hearing a lot of logic out of rage in our day that we live in today. Uh, you see it on the news. You, you see it on the things that are said, the anger. And, and I think when they saw this, they were just blinded by rage at what they were hearing what they were seeing and so they just said well you're casting out a demon in the name of Beelzebub so that they could get rid of him so that the crowd would hear guys don't listen to this man just stay away from him and and Jesus called him out on it very clearly and very plainly and so I think that is something that's pretty clear in scripture that those who do not, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, those who do not have the spirit of God do not recognize the things of God. And we're, that's one simple way that we can, we can hear things that people say and we can simply run it past scripture because the Bible is not going to contradict God because his spirit led the men to write his word. And, and so this is what they wrote. And we have, it, we have it as a test method against everything that is brought against us. And so the second thing I'd point out is that the fruits of the Spirit are going to be evident in the lives of those who are His children. And I think honestly, in our churches, to some degree, we've sort of brushed that aside a little bit that we, we think it's okay to just rip people behind their backs. It's okay to gossip. It's okay to sort of twist the truth, to make somebody else look bad just because you disagree with them. I think we got to take it very seriously, and it's, it's harmful, it's dangerous to the body of Christ. And so I'm not spending a lot of time on that particular aspect of the kingdom of Satan but i'm just pointing out those two things that we have the fruit of the spirit and and I think what i was what I was thinking about earlier is that possibly you know we've those of us who have been around the veggie tales and all of that we've we've kind of gotten used to the song you know the the fruit of the spirit is not a watermelon and it's this fun little happy children's song but we are called to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If the Holy Spirit is within us, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. And, and so there you go. We've got two kingdoms, and there is a clear call to embrace one or the other. And we'll read on a little bit later, and you'll see that Jesus uses very strong language to say you need to be one or the other. But I want to point out the second thing that I'm establishing here is that the kingdom of God is a greater power. And you can see that in Jesus' words when he said this in verse 29, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then he will plunder his house. Jesus was saying, I just plundered the kingdom of Satan. The demon that lived in this man, I just threw him out. So that ought to tell you something right there, that the kingdom of God is a greater power. And to share a, a story in my own life, two stories really, one involving someone else and one me personally. Uh, we lived in Canada for a couple of years, and up there with the native people, spiritual warfare, the satanic presence was significant. It could be felt um, on some of these reserves and there was suicides that just created a, a darkness on the entire reserve and and people would feel that and or a funeral was just a a hopeless heaviness that you would feel and and so we would go out to the Eagle Lake Reserve on Sunday afternoon and pick up a bunch of kids and bring them back and we would have a, uh, a little Bible Sunday school basically is what we were having with them. And there was this boy named Eddie, and he told me, he said, you know, there's a lot of times at night I can't sleep. And I said, why is that? And he said, I, there's just, it's the red eyes. There's just eyes in the room looking at me. I feel like all the time, and if I look outside at night and I look at the trees, he said, I, I just see those red eyes. And I said, Eddie, do you believe what we've been talking about here in this, in this Bible school, in this Sunday school? Do you believe that you are a child of God? And uh, he had given his life to Christ. And I said, or he said, yeah, I do believe that. And I said, well, then if that's the case, I said, you, you have far more power than any evil dark presence that is around you ever at any time and I said when you see that I'm just telling you you say in the name of Jesus you say this out loud in the name of Jesus you have to leave me now and he went home and to be honest I forgot about it and the next week when we went around to pick him up he jumped in he's like it worked it worked and I said what worked he's like that thing you told me to do and I said what did I tell you to do I mean I should have remembered but I said what did I tell you to do he said you told me to say that in Jesus name you have to leave me and he said I said that and it was just gone and you know make of that story what you will but personally I believe Eddie experienced the power of God in his life and the second one involved me, personally, not long after I was ordained, and it was personal. One night, one night my third son came upstairs in the middle of the night, and he was beside himself. He was terrified talking out of his mind, just saying, my head's flying off, and I'm flying through the air, and and he was just saying all this stuff, and I was trying to calm him down, and, and he would not calm down. Nothing I would say to him would, would calm him down, and I thought he was just having a nightmare. And in that process, at some point, I was sitting on the sofa, and I don't know how old he was at the time, probably 13 or 14, and... And I just wrapped my arms around him, and I was just holding him tight. And wasn't really trying it, but my my mouth was right by his ear. And in my desperation, I said, Lord Jesus, we need you now. And he had just been all tense and and trying to break free and saying all this stuff. And, And the moment I said those words, he just went totally limp, completely limp. And he he went back to bed. I went back to bed. And just the same, just the same as I've heard God speak to me, I heard a voice say, There's more where that's coming from. And if you preach that sermon on Sunday, you're asking for it. And you know what my initial reaction was? I won't. I did not like that feeling. I did not like what just happened. Don't mess with my kids, but it was real. At some point, I said, you know what, there's something wrong with this situation. Why am I sitting here in fear? This is not how it's supposed to work. The kingdom of God is greater than any kingdom of Satan any power that he has any grip he has on your life the kingdom of God is greater and more powerful and Jesus said it he plundered the kingdom of Satan he cast out that demon and so we have to remember there's two kingdoms and Jesus is calling us to one of them and saying one of them is greater which one will you be And in verse 10, he says, he who is not with me is against me. You cannot be partway in and partway in the other one. It's one or the other. And so this divided house, because that is exactly what the case would be if, if you tried to live your life with one foot in the kingdom of Satan and one foot in the kingdom of God. And, and so Jesus said the words, a divided house cannot stand. And I would like to illustrate this tonight, just a picture. It's a simple little thing, but i found that people often say, actually, I remember that, you know? And, and so I'm going to ask a couple of people to come up here. So You guys have been here for how many years and didn't know that was under there? <laughs> So I'm going to ask Fred to come up here, I'm going to ask Cole to come up here, I'm going to ask, and I can see it on some of your faces, like don't pick me, I'm not going to ask you to say anything. How about you on the back bench beside the pretty young lady, we'll see who gets up. You come on up here. How about Tim, of course, Tim, yes. You uh, go on that side, huh? It looks like it, doesn't Yeah, you go over there. I think we'll just stop at that. So pick up the rope, take the tension out of it, all right. It looks like we're about to have a tug of war. Just relax, we're not. We're not going to actually physically carry out the act. But we're going we're to take this, uh, we're going to decide the winner by vote. And so I need to know right now how many of you believe this team over here will win. I have three, four, five, six, I, I got him already. I can't count twice. He's demanding a recount. We haven't. All right. So uh, how many are voting for this team right here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You guys won, right? So now I would like for Fred, I want you to spin around. Yeah, no, like as in, yeah, you're turning around. You are now pulling this way. Exactly. Exactly. What we have right here is a divided house. Right? So now, who believes they will win over here? Who believes this team over here will win? Your, your little sister is rooting for you. That is what a divided house looks like. This team over here, you all said they would win. But the moment Fred and Cole are working against each other, you all realize what would happen. They're going to win. And that is what a divided house is. All right, guys, you can drop the rope and uh, go glory in your victory. So verse 30, he says, You are either with me or against me. I want to read on down through 31 and to verse 37. And let's just continue to listen to what Jesus has to say. Therefore, I say to you, so this is after he said, he who is not with me is against me, and he does not gather with me, scatters abroad. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not, be, will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit brood of vipers how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things but i say to you that for every idle word man may speak they will give account of it in the day of judgment for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned and I think what he is clearly saying is there's two kingdoms you need to be in one you will be in one or the other and your words the 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 decision that you make will be what condemns you or justifies you and that's an awesome word that we'll look at a little bit more tomorrow night but the language that Jesus uses is strong. He says, stop trying to live in one or the other. And I think too many times we do that. We sit there and we look at life and, and we, we tend to think, well, what can I get away with? What can I, how, how far can I go? Is, is this really wrong? And we just kind of keep pushing the limits. And, and basically our, our obedience is simply just a, a duty. Like, just try to, to do enough to satisfy God. Do enough to get into heaven. And I think that's the, the most short-sighted, unscriptural viewpoint you can possibly have. The, the joy that is intended for us, not only to walk with him in this life, but in the next life. To think about Paul and Silas, <laughs> just just we 've heard that story so many times, but they were stripped down and beaten with rods and put in prison, and they 're in there singing, and not only that, but then surely the earthquake happened, so this had to be the act of God to set them free, but they see the they see somebody who's about to take their life, and so they say, wait, we're all here, we're all here, and then they lead them to the Lord. That's, that's somehow experiencing true joy. To me, joy isn't, that word joy, interestingly enough, the, the original word says calmly happy. I, to me, that's a sustaining, ongoing, just solid feeling. I say feeling it's a it's a truth as well, and you know everybody's different. Like I tend to be, if I if I react to something, if I'm truly awed by something, like m- my arms are gonna move, or I'm I'm gonna just it it comes out of me. But you know there's other people who could just do something that's just highly energizing and, and a big rush to them and. And they would say, man, that, that was exciting. And uh, it's just a difference in personality. But, and so when, I, when I'm saying happy, I'm not talking about just bouncing off the walls in a, some kind of short-term uh, happiness. I'm talking about a joy based in the truth of knowing who's got your back, what kingdom you are a part of, who you belong to, who you are in Christ not bound by what everyone is thinking about you, trying to live your life to impress people, to try to live your life to uh, earn enough money so that you can reach that category in your mind of being somebody, but knowing that your value and your worth comes from Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. And so we've got this call, clear call. You can't be one or the other. You've got to make a choice, either make it the tree good or make the tree bad. And so I want, to, I want to show you from Scripture how God views it when people try to live that way. He does not like it, and you will hear it in very strong language. For starters, in Matthew fifteen, eight and 9, he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me." Look, we can understand this quite simply. If you, well, so Hannah and Matt, um, and I'm trying to get the names here. Sam is your brother? Yeah. Matt is the one you're marrying? Yes, all right, we got it straight. All right, so, Hannah, how would you feel if, if Matt was uh, seeing some girl named Jennifer? And, yeah, I can already see that's not going well. <laughs> seeing some girl named Jennifer, and of course, here's Hannah. And you see that interaction, and finally Hannah says, look, I'm not putting up with this anymore. It's either me or her. One or the other, but it's not going to be both. And so Matt, sitting there, going, mm, I, I don't. I mean, I, I guess I'll just I'll go with you. Like you clearly know that that is not going to work. That you see the absence of love. You see the absence of captivation. You see the absence of affection. There's no way you're going to go along with that. And, and this is, I think, what God is saying. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You, you would be upset as a lady if your husband showed up in the morning with flowers after he'd just been gone all night and he smells like another lady's perfume and he's got lipstick on his cheek you would clearly be turned off and and just disgusted by that. And and the flowers would mean nothing to you. I think this is what God is saying. You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. And so I want to read a chapter in Malachi. I invite you to turn there, uh, Malachi chapter 1. And let's just see what God has to say about this. Malachi chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 10 for starters. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you. He's saying, who will stand up and just stop the disingenuine fakeness? of your worship? Who's going to slam the door shut and lock it and say, this is not going to happen anymore? Well, let's look at why he said that. And so let's jump back to verse six and I'll read verse six and eight. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he, be, would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And then we have verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the door so that you would not fire, kindle a fire on my altar in vain? Again, just very blunt graphic wording about how God feels about a divided captivation no different than you would feel if your spouse or the one you love was cheating on some with somebody else very blunt and you know what many times we very subtly offer God the blind the lame It was supposed to be the best that they had. And you know what? They were saving the best for themselves. They were keeping the best for themselves. And so coming back to the kingdom of Satan, if he can't get you to bow down and worship him directly, he'll get you in another way. He'll come in the back door and just get you to worship yourself. You don't think of it that way, but when you... When you only offer God the leftovers of your life, who are you making king of your life? Who's really in charge of your life? It's you. And these people were doing that. And so we hear that. We hear God's call and what he's requiring of us. And so now I'm asking you to turn to Amos. Amos chapter 4. It's not really a book that... We turn too often, but I'm going to read this, and there is a phrase in here that I would like for us to hear. I think it shows the heart of God, and I don't know how many of you have sometimes thought about the Old Testament and maybe felt like, God, you really ought to just calm down a little bit. and and relax, and and you're getting a little out of hand, and then some of the things he says and does, but in here, it says it at least four times. I think it represents what God's heart is about. And so here we go, Amos four, verse one. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. (laughs) I, I just like that, for starters. Uh, God is creative. Hear this word, you Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. Behold, the day shall come upon you when he shall take you away with fishhooks and your posterity with fishhooks. And you will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her. In other words, you are going to be escaping through the easiest lo- location that you have to escape, and that's through the busted wall that's already been broken and attacked by the enemy. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into harmony says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. This is God saying, because he's just, this is sarcasm, I believe, from God in in what he's just calling them to. Come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet... You have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when there were still three months in the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained on, and where it did not rain, the part was withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. "'I blasted you with blight and mildew. "'When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, "'the locusts devoured them. "'Yet you have not returned to me,' says the Lord. "'I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. "'Your young men I killed with a sword. "'Along with your captive horses, I made the stench of your camps come up in your nostrils. "'Yet you have not returned to me,' says the Lord." I overthrew some of you, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains, creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. I don't know if you hear that chapter, if you hear that phrase, yet you have not returned to me as a a threat or a, an angry demand, but I believe as I read that chapter, I see and experience that as a deep and loving compassion, a deep and loving pursuit of his people. And and he's wanting them to reach rock bottom and have nothing left except to turn to him. And I believe that is, the, that is always behind what God does in our lives, is, is to allow us to see him for who he is and reach out to him, recognize him as our hope, And I would, actually, in what I just said, when I said I believe that's behind everything that God does. God allows a lot of things, but in my mind, in my opinion, I don't think God is always, his perfect will is not always being carried out on this earth. I hear a lot of people blame God for a lot of things. Why did God allow this? Why did God allow Jim's wife to be killed? You know, there's a lot of things that happen in life. Someone says, why did God not stop these people? People use the shootings, the school shootings as an example. Why did God allow that to happen? If God's like that, well, then I want no part of him. Do you think, really, we here as the children of God, do we think that that's what God wanted? He can use it. He absolutely can use it to call us to him, but I do not believe that it was God's perfect will to put it in a heart of a man to go in there and slaughter a bunch of children. I just don't believe that. And we are in a broken world. That's the only way I can make sense of things like that that we are in a broken world and and the very things that people are angry about when they blame God are the same things that that upset him as well and and if he would have it his way we would return to him everyone but he absolutely uses the brokenness he absolutely uses the brokenness to to work deep in our hearts to place that true rest and and joy in him. There's some hard stuff that people go through, but it's in those immensely difficult and hard times that some of the most powerful moments have been experienced. I heard a man, Jerry Yoder, lost his wife to cancer, standing in front of a large crowd of people, and he said, it was almost worth it It, you could sense the battle in him to, to actually say those words but to lose his wife was heartbreaking and devastating but he was saying what i experienced in god in all of that was worth it and i really believe god gets poorly represented so many times. And, and so when I hear an angry person say that, well, I'm not serving a God like that, I like to enter that conversation because that's not what he wants. And so I hope that, and I think I said that that phrase was in here four times, and in my reading I discovered the fifth one. Uh, either that or I can't count. But uh, we have the Revelations 3, 15 through 16. You are neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. I, I have a very good understanding of what it means to have something in your mouth that you just can't get rid of fast enough. And we, it involved tearing down a chimney one time, and we just hooked to it, ripped it down, It hit the ground and there was a big bee's nest behind it. There was, there were yellow jackets suddenly everywhere. And I locked eyes with a bee somehow. That thing was coming straight at me and I'm just backing up. And I'm like, get away, get away. And it just buzzed right through my hands and straight into my wide open mouth and stung my tongue. And my tongue swelled up and I mean, It was funny and it wasn't, because the rest of the day, the guy I was working with, I was like, you know, I couldn't talk, (laughs) I I just couldn't talk. My tongue was all thick and fat, but I just spit and spit. Like, it just tasted nasty, and I just, I couldn't help it. I just, I just kept on spitting for hours after that. And so every time I read this verse, I think of the bee I locked eyes with. You are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's not what God wants to do. But if you don't choose to be on the side of righteousness, the side of a greater power, the side of who God is, and you choose to try to live your life with your foot in the kingdom of Satan he will eventually say, have it your way. He's not going to force you. He's going to say, have it your way. It's been said that the problem with many Christians is that in their attempts at behavioral change, their motivation is simply to avoid the consequences of sin. And they have no joy or worship in that. It's my opinion that that is a house-divided kind of approach that will not stand. So I ask you the question, do you evaluate your life simply by whether or not you are surface sinning? You may not be lying, you may not be cheating, you may not be stealing visibly, but the walls of your heart are lined with your heroes, with nakedness. It's been in Pastors Week, at SMBI, really everywhere I go, in a a setting like that, the pornography battle is everywhere, everywhere. Quite simply, you cannot sit there and expect to experience a closeness and a worship of God when the bedroom walls of your heart are lined with pictures of naked women just won't work. It cannot work. The Holy Spirit is not at home in that setting. The Holy Spirit wants to clean that out. Oftentimes, we take the good things that God created, sex, Satan twists it, and now we can almost view it as dirty. And when we think of that, we think of it as something that God did not create for good. We take the the good things that God created, it can be food, it can be money, whatever it is, we take the good things that God created and we make them ultimate things. And God is no longer ultimate in our life. And uh, I just really like the, uh, what was pointed out to me one time is the idea that we don't just simply stop. If we have an affection for something, we don't simply just stop that affection. Like If you really love to do something, you have a hobby that you really love to do, but then a year later you're kind of into another hobby. Like you didn't just suddenly stop loving this first hobby, but a greater affection began to push it out. And I think that, oftentimes, that's true in our lives, that, quite frankly, the kingdom of Satan has a greater attraction, a greater pull, and a greater affection. And not only does God want to come into your life and be the affection that pushes that out, But recognizes what it is and learns to hate it and want no part of it and realize what is keeping you from what's standing between you and God and so I just uh, ask you to think about that in your heart think about the the way that you've been living is it joy filled are you finding joy and pleasure in God or are you finding it in the other kingdom. Because after all, the title of this sermon was A Divided Captivation. There is no such thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word that reflects your heart, your passion for us, the intensity of at which you want us to find joy and truth in you. So Lord, we're all on a journey as we sit here tonight. Everyone has things going on inside of them and things that they know about that no one else does but you. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one. Reveal, give courage, fill with your power. Each one to have the courage to make a change, to end it, to, to cast out that satanic grip in their life and live in the freedom, the, the freedom and the joy of freedom and peace that comes from you. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in all of our hearts. We thank you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.